0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to the book of Judges, way over in the beginning pages of the, New, of the Old Testament, the seventh book of the Bible, chapter 7, and begin reading with about verse 15 of chapter 7. While you're finding that, let me remind you what an exciting week this is in our church. In just a matter of, uh, of a few hours, the initial team to replace our sound system will be on site. They will begin working this afternoon. And uh, with the goal that next Sunday we have things in place and uh, and operational and ready to go it's an exciting time in our church thank you for, for giving I've been careful to not to try to uh, not to try to encourage giving without specific plans. The ministry is notorious you know for asking people to give when they can't tell you exactly when it's going to start or when it's going to end uh, It's all happened fast for us but uh uh, we're trying to raise $24,000, 60 units, giving $400 apiece. We'll, we'll, we'll retire the debt very quickly. We've received about uh, almost $4,000 to date, and we'll make that known uh, beginning of, uh, in this coming week. But it's an exciting time in our church. It's another step in our church. And uh, we look forward to, to uh, a, a sound system that encourages and helps us uh, share the excitement and uh, fill this place with the great sounds of praise to God. So thank you for your help in that. Judges chapter 7, one of the great stories of the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you the last portion of this story, the climax, uh, so to speak, beginning in chapter 7, verse 15 of the book of Judges. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out to the men there, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Verse 16, dividing 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty pitchers in their hands, uh, in the hands of all of them, with torches inside, empty pitchers with torches inside. Verse 17, watch me, he told them, and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hand. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted a sword for the Lord and Gideon while each man held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Let me, let me read that again. That's the key to the story. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the Midianites throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And the army fled. And I will add, killing each other all along the way. Well, we've been thinking and talking this summer about the greatness of God, that God is the God of more. God seeks to do more in our lives than we've let Him do. God seeks to do above and beyond that which we can think and comprehend. The, the great God of more has, has more of everything He offers to you and I than we have allowed Him to give to us and provide for us. The fact of the matter is, we all live below the level God would have us to live, It doesn't matter whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've walked with God for decades. I want to remind you that the God of all power and creation and might has more in store for you than you and I have let him do. And as a result of the God of more giving to us, our lives should reflect more also. More forgiveness, more love, more grace, more acceptance, more power to overcome the forces that would defeat us. We serve a great God of more who wants to do so much more in our lives. And we praise Him for that. But what a great story. In fact, no story in the Old Testament or in the Bible illustrates the, the power of God more than the story of Gideon. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I won't go into all the details, but, but let me just give you the summary just to refresh your memory. The nation of Israel as God's people is, is, is in, it's in some middle years in which they are they are far past Egyptian slavery they are far past forty years of wilderness wanderings. They are they are far beyond uh, 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 crossing over the Jordan, led by Jacob after the death of Moses. They are far beyond the walls of Jericho come falling down. They have their generations past that. And uh, while they're endeavoring to serve God at times, they're now inflicted with some less than godly leaders, and, and things have begun to change for them. In fact, chapter 5, the last verse of chapter 5 of the book of Judges said that Israel, as God's people, have, has known peace for 40 years. That's quite a powerful statement. When you realize that God's people were, were always a little bitty group of people compared to the enemy and the opposition around them. And you realize what a brutal world they lived in and, and how it was the, 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 the strong overcame the weak. For 40 years, God's people brought peace. God had peace for His people and they lived in peace because they honored God. But chapter 6 marks a turn in the focus of the nation of God's people In fact, the first part of chapter 6 says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Bible doesn't define what evil that was, but anything less than giving God our allegiance can be classified as evil. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now for seven years he gave them into the hand of Midian. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites, as God's people, prepared houses for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare one living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle or donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count these men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravish it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. And so, because of their lack of keeping God first in their life, and because of lack of keeping their allegiance to God uh, pure and central in their life, they, in effect, stepped out from the umbrella of God's protection. And they fell prey to stronger nations and peoples around them, which was virtually everybody. In this case, the Midianites were wreaking havoc on the land of Israel. Can you imagine the very people of God living in such fear that they left their cities on the plains, and they left their cities and fortresses in the hillside, and they began to live in hideouts and caves and dens and getaways trying to escape the sight of the Midianites. Folks, when we don't keep God first in our life, and when we don't keep God's allegiance pure in, 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 in the way that we honor Him, we get ourselves in all kinds of situations that are not the desire of God, and they lead to bad times. For seven years, the Midianites oppressed God's people, and after seven years, when the Midianites raided the land, harvested the crops, took their cattle and sheep, uh, brought great havoc to the people of God. After seven years, uh, the Midianites so impoverished Israel. We've read that they cried out to God. Sometimes we have to hit bottom before we realize the the error of our ways and call to God. Sometimes we have to hit what I learned in East Texas is called the rock bottom. Anybody ever heard that? You can't go any deeper. You're as far down as you can go. It is solid rock, and you can't. When you hit rock bottom, they called out to God. And surprising, probably to those there, God was listening, and God heard them, and God responds immediately. We sometimes lose that sight of God that that God is a loving Father waiting for the for the, for the call of their of of His beloved Son and His beloved children. The, story of the prodigal son illustrates that, the son that went off and, and lived his life in riotous, wild living, and yet the, the father longed every day for his son to return, just like that. God was listening for the Israelites when they cried unto him, and, and, and God sends a messenger. Uh, he, he begins the conversation with a guy named Gideon, who's... Threshing wheat in a wine press. We don't understand the significance of the, those words, but pressing wheat in a, a threshing wheat in a wine press trying to escape the sight of the Midianites. When the Israelites cried unto God because of Midian, he sent a prophet. And the prophet said, This is what the Lord says: I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and out of slavery, I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of your oppressors, I drove them out from before you and gave you their land. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. You've not listened to me. Then an angel came down and sat down under an oak tree and begins a conversation with Gideon. And the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon replied, sir, if the Lord's with us, why has all this bad stuff happened to us? And where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us. And put us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14 is a key verse. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel from Midian's hand. But Lord, Gideon said, I am the youngest member of, the, of, the, of a weak family of the smallest tribe of Israel. I'm the youngest member of a poor family of the smallest tribe of Israel. You, you're, you're talking to me? And the angel of the Lord said, you are a mighty man of valor, in your strength you are to go. And so you know the story of how Gideon becomes aware that perhaps God is calling him to, to lead the, the people through this time. And after a couple of signs that, uh, that involve a fleece of wool, if you've ever heard of putting out a fleece, it was Gideon that did that. Lord, he said, what you're telling me is so hard to comprehend. I have faith in you, and I, and I hear you, but I just can't quite understand. You're, you're asking me to put my life on the line, and if it's really you. I want to put a a, a a patch of wool in this in this wine press, and in the morning let all the ground around this wine press be dry, except let the let the fleece of wool be wet. The Bible said Gideon got up the next morning and wrung out a full bowl of water from the fleece of wool when there was nothing there. And Gideon still said, I can't be quite sure of myself. I don't want to make a mistake. Lord, don't, don't be insulted. But, 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 but let it be the opposite this time. Let the ground everywhere be saturated with dew. But let this fleece of wool be dry. And it happened just that way. And Gideon becomes aware that he's God's man. And the first thing that Gideon did is probably key to the story. The Lord said to Gideon, this is what I want you to do you got you you're you're under the oppression of the midianites they're they're massive in number they are overwhelming in number but but I want to deliver Israel but here's what I want you to do first by the way it's nothing military he said in your father's land are some idols and I want you to go tear down the idol and tear down the grove of trees that represents a place of false worship and, and I want you to begin to, to, to cleanse the land of, of false gods and to, to point attention back towards me and to establish me. And Gideon is so afraid to do that for the people that, that he, he does it at night. He gets ten of his servants together, his father's servants together, and a couple of oxen. And they go in the middle of the night and they break down this altar to a false god of Baal. And they cut down the Asherah pole that signified a place of false worship. And just before dawn that day, Gideon rebuilt the altar only he built it not to a false god, but to the living and true God. He be rebuilt an altar with the wood and the stones and all the stuff from there and offered one of those animals as a sacrifice, probably the first time God had been worshipped by his people in seven years. And that was the beginning point of, uh, of, of Gideon's rise to power. And you know the story of how Gideon would soon call the army of Israel together and they assembled 32,000 men uh, to go to, to fight and go to battle against these Midianites and we're I'm impressed with 32,000 and think that's uh, quite a, a large number but 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 the enemy on the other side was 120,000 Midianites. They were a nomadic band of people that 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 wove their way through the desert and and devoured uh, whatever was around them, and they had been joined by the Amalekites. And and we know that there were 135,000 warriors spread out in the valley waiting to raid the land of Israel again, and 135,000 and 32,000. And you know the, the, the story God said to Gideon, not go forward, not I'm going to give you victory. God said to Gideon, this is too many men on your side. 32,000 is too many men. I can't do what I want to do as I would like to do it. If I, if I give you victory, they'll take the credit for it. God said to Gideon, you've got to reduce the number of men on your side. In fact, simply tell everybody that's afraid they can go home. That's a pretty dangerous thing to do, you know. The Bible says uh, Gideon got the 32,000 men army together and said, Every man that is fearful and afraid can return to his own tent. And 22,000 of them, two-thirds of the army, left that moment. Can you imagine what those ten thousand were thinking? I think of that poster I see that says, "The few, the proud, the Marines. We're the roughest of the rough and toughest of the tough." And ten thousand men remain, and as they're assembling together, God reminds Gideon of a central truth again: still too many men. I can't do what I want to do for you with this many men. You're going to have to reduce the number further, and. If I have been Gideon, I would believe I would have uh, respectfully argued a little bit with God and said, you know, it'd be a great, it would be a v- great victory, 135,000 versus 10,000. Give us a victory and we'll give you credit. Gideon might, could have reminded the Lord that the last time he reduced the number of army men, almost everybody left. But God chose Gideon for one reason. I remind you, Gideon would do things God's way. And, folks, if we're going to connect with the God of more in a, in, a, in a biblical way, in a powerful way, it begins with obedience. God said to Gideon, I'll show you what to do. Watch him. Take him down to the stream to get a drink of water. They're thirsty. And watch how they drink. And every man that puts his face in the, in, in the, in the stream and, and satisfies his thirst as fast as he can, let that guy go home. But every man that will approach the stream with caution, maybe keep his sword in one hand, And get on on one knee and take a handful of water at a time and slowly quench his thirst because he's being alert to what's going on around him. That's the man you can keep. And you know the story of how 10,000 went down to drink. And 9,700 of them failed the test. And God said something shocking to Gideon. By the hand of these 300, I will deliver Israel. Gideon would, before the story's over, arm them for battle. A trumpet, we've read it, a trumpet, a torch, and a water container. Gideon armed his men for battle without anything to fight with. The Midianites were the the power of the day. They had the latest of weaponry. They had camels as numerous as the sands of the seashore, the Bible says. They were well equipped. They were the big boys in town. Here's Gideon, 300 men didn't have anything to fight with. It's taken me a long time to realize that. Why didn't they have anything to fight with? Because they were not going to fight. The Lord was going to fight for them. He just needed them to obey. And so they took took the pitchers and they took their their, their trumpets and they took the torch and they they used the pitcher to conceal the light of the torch. And uh, not great weapons. Not many people die each year in America because they have a flashlight in their possession. Not many people die each year because of a trumpet blast. I've heard a few that were almost lethal. You know, my kids were in band as, a, as a middle schoolers, and uh, even somebody with no musical ability as, as I have could detect something was not quite right. <clears throat> God's not asking us to do things in our own strength. He's asking us to place our allegiance and our lives in His. And we've read the culminating story, 135,000 men spread out in a valley, waiting at the first light of dawn to attack Uh, I'm glad that Gideon didn't form a committee to study this or or form a work study group and talk about it. I'm glad he didn't go back and research to see what other people have done in this situation because tomorrow would have been too late. And uh, God lets Gideon in on a secret again as He sends him down to the camp of the Midianites and two soldiers are talking about a dream where a loaf of barley bread, the cheapest bread that that was around, tumbled into their camp and knocked down the tent. And one of the guys said, this must be that Gideon guy. The Lord is with him. And Gideon found the streak to assemble the army together. That's where we begin reading. And Gideon divided the men in three groups, a hundred each. He instructed them to get close to the Midianite camp. In the middle of the night, at the newly set of the, of, of the guard, don't completely surround them. Surround them on three sides, if that's a. Get on three sides of them. I guess it's not right to say surround them on three sides. Get on three sides and leave one side open and do what I do. And they did just that in the middle of the night. The Lord gave Gideon the signal, and Gideon gave his men the signal. And 300 men blew a trumpet blast as if their lives were hanging in the balance of that. Don't you know they blew that trumpet with all of their might? And 300 men break that water container that's hiding, concealing the light of the torch. And 300 men begin to wave the torch above their head and shout for an almighty God and his man Gideon. Well, the Bible says that would certainly indicate that hearing 300 trumpet blasts in the middle of the night was enough to make the Midianites wake up and look out and see what was taking place. And seeing, hearing 300 uh, pitchers break in the middle of the night was, uh, stirred their curiosity. And they began to look around and they saw 300 torches waving almost completely encircling them and hearing a people shout for a high, holy God sent a wave of fear and terror through that camp the Midianites begin to run towards the only open spot they could see. The Bible said they grabbed their swords and weapons, and God caused confusion, and they began to kill each other. And they ran all night long, killing each other all along the way. And folks, as I can tell from my Bible on at this point in history, the nation of Midian was never a problem to Israel again. How did 300 men overcome a vast army of 135,000? And without even anything to fight with, we've read it this morning, how they did it. Under the direction of God, they found their place, these 300 soldiers, they found their place. And they got in it and stood still. And let God do for them what they could not do for themselves. He fought the battle for them. He defeated the enemy before them. He he did for them something that they could have not ever conceived of doing on their own, even with 32,000 men. The God of more offered an overwhelming battle in the midst of such odds that it's almost absurd. To illustrate a point to you and I, if we trust God, He will fight our battles for us. You know part of the problem we have in living victoriously for God is that we don't let God fight the battles. We don't find our place with God around God's camp, around God's word, around God's allegiance to God. We don't find our place and stand still and trust God enough to do for us. Sometimes I've made a big mess of my life thinking I could help God out a little bit. When God said to me, stand still and be quiet and watch me work for you and do what you cannot do for yourselves. Folks, that's the God of more. That's what he wants to do in our lives. He doesn't eliminate the problems. He doesn't, he doesn't take them away from us completely. The Midianites are still out there praying on God's people. And the Amalekites are joining them. And the enemy is great. And the enemy is powerful. And there's all kinds of pitfalls and traps and, and, and avenues to sin. And, and all kinds of things that capture our attention and our allegiance. It's still there. But the great God of more says, if you will listen to my voice, and if you will do what I say to do, and if you will stand still and let me work, I will bring victory beyond anything you can conceive in your life. I will defeat the addiction that has held you captive for so much that you don't think there's any way you'll ever get victory over. I will help you Overcome that temptation that is your Achilles heel. But first you've got to get in the right place so that I can work. And sometimes in the midst of talking about a great God of more, we sometimes fail to realize our place and our responsibility. And Gideon shows us what's most important. And if we want God to work in our lives, then we have to follow Gideon's model. First of all, he listened to what God said there's sometimes I'm so anxious to have God work in my life, and sometimes I'm so anxious for God to do the, the exceptional and, and all kinds of things. I don't even want to stop and stand still and listen. He listened to what God said. And God told him something was so bizarre he couldn't comprehend it. But he not only listened, he began to obey. And he not only began to obey, but he began to take steps to right the wrong in the nation of Israel. And it began attacking, it began involving the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In fact, the battle of chapter 7 is actually won in chapter 6. When Gideon begins to go through the land and rid this land of the false gods that they had erected. He started in his own household. He started on his own land. He started in his father's group. It was a scary thing and a dangerous thing and, and risk his life to do it. Gideon began to break down the false gods and the altars and the places of false worship and began to get God in his right place. And might I say to you this morning, that's still the need of so much of the church world today. We let so many things compete with God for our allegiance. We, we almost worship so many things other than God. But the truth of the first commandment is still real. I will be your God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God doesn't work in our lives in great ways as He desires, sometimes because we've not kept God at the allegiance, at the full allegiance of our lives. He is not As old-time preachers used to say, he is not on the throne of our lives. Gideon listened. Gideon obeyed when he didn't understand. Gideon put God back in the central point in his life and his country. And then Gideon simply trusted God to work. For Gideon, it was a no-turning-back kind of proposition. Standing near the camp of the Amalekites and Midianites in the middle of the night... Blowing trumpets and waving torches and shouting for God was a life or death issue for them. If it didn't work, they died that night. But I want to remind you folks, we can still trust God with our lives. The God of this great victory is the God that is alive in our world today, who seeks to do more in our lives. And what can God do when we put God in the right place in our life? when we begin to listen to Him and obey Him, and when we trust God with our very future. I want to remind you this morning that God still sees more than we can see. I want to remind you that God confirms His priorities with His presence. I want to remind you that the battles of the public part of our life are often won in the private setting of our life if we will trust Him. God is able today. Can you say amen to that? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we may ask and seek. I believe that. But we need to do our part to put ourselves in the position where God can do that for us. I challenge you this week to examine your allegiance to God. I challenge you to get on your knees before God and say, Have I let anything creep into my life so that it's becoming more important than you? I challenge you to trust God with what he tells you to do. Sometimes it's it's so it's so radical to what we think that we can't even comprehend it at times. God didn't say to Gideon, I want you to understand it. He just said, Trust me and do these things. God did not go into a great explanation to, with Gideon in scripture to say, This is how I'm gonna do it, what I'm gonna do, and how I'm gonna do it. God just simply said, Get me in the right place. Stand still. And let me do for you what I want to do. It's beyond your ability and beyond your capacity. God has great victory for us in the midst of our in the midst of life, if we will let him work. And they stood, the King James says it very distinctly, and they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp. And the host ran and cried and fled. And killed each other and never became a major problem to the people of God again. Hallelujah, what a Savior who takes us as poor lost sinners, lifts us out of the miry clay and sets us free. And seeks to give us leadership and direction in our lives so that no common enemy that overtakes man can reach God's people. If he's first in our life and if we serve him to our full capacity. The great God of more wants to do more in your life than you let him do, more in my life than I've let him do, more in our church than we can comprehend. Our portion of the equation is this. God is Lord of our lives. We listen, we obey, and we trust. I think the song says it this way, trust and obey, for there's no other way to find happiness in Jesus but to live that we would trust and obey. And may God be great in your life this week. And may we see the powerful hand of God like we've not seen before because of our allegiance to Him as we trust Him to do more in our lives. Can you say amen today? I hope so. God is on our side, folks. And if you read the book, you know that God wins. And all God's people with Him. The trials of life will pass. But we'll be glad through all of heaven, throughout all of eternity, that we learn to trust and obey and keep God first in our lives. Amen and amen. Let's stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. We'll sing a song and be dismissed. But our Father, we are so thankful this morning for the chance to be here. Lord, we recognize the ability of our church membership to travel and do so many things, and we rejoice that life brings to that point. We're reminded of a number of people that are not here due to illness and surgeries and hospital visits and we are concerned about that. But Lord, thankful, we're thankful that your presence has permeated this building in our hearts and minds. And from an old familiar story that so greatly illustrates in simple terms what you want to do in our lives, may we gain strength for this week, strength for our current battle. And Lord, we want you to do more in our lives. Help us to be brave enough and faithful enough to do our part to make you Lord of our lives. And we ask you to work because we need your help. We need you to hold us by your righteous right hand. We need you to so lead us and calm us through our fears that we see you in the midst of all. And we can say as your word declares, your will be done. Your kingdom come in our lives. And we trust you with all the details of that. Your name we pray and most humbly pray and praise your name. Amen.